Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. So it looks like the Milwaukee Lion, like there's been more evidence since the last time we talked. What? Yep, there's been pictures and stuff. And oh, good. I, I, I get into a little bit about the Milwaukee Lion with Linda Godfrey, an author. She lives uh, near Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Ah, and you remember we used to very familiar. play at the Elkhorn Saloon. Yep, that's right. In fact, one of our mannequins, we have mannequins that have Sunspot t-shirts on them that we put up at shows. <laughs> And one of our mannequins was held hostage at the Elkhorn Saloon for a long time, wasn't it? That's right. Yep. And we rescued her. Yes. She was caught there for a better part of a year, <laughs> trapped there with the bikers. And they, you know, they I, they just didn't respect her. And, oh. um, but we got her back and now she's safe with us, our mannequin. Anyway, Linda Godfrey. Yes. From is, Elkhorn. Is an author and she, you know, she'll get into it. Yes. Um, in the interview, but she's... She's the most famous for writing a book called The Beast of Bray Road. And she was at the Paranormal Convention, right? Yes, she was. She did. Okay. A, I think she had a talk at the Paranormal. And yeah. she's been on Coast to Coast. She's been on every uh, Paranormal show and I stuff like that. I think I like saw her that. booth there. Yeah. And she, she's probably, I mean, one of the foremost uh, cryptid researchers of the Midwest. And she's famous for looking for um, stories of werewolves and Native American skin changers mm-hmm. and cool. uh, the M- Michigan dog man and things like that. And she also was one of the authors of the weird Wisconsin book. Ah, okay. So if you remember the, I mean, everybody remembers the weird Wisconsin book because it was everywhere yeah. for a long time. And I asked her about that in the interview and I'm like, well, we don't see it anymore. But uh, so yeah, Linda, uh, we talked about the Milwaukee line and she's got a story about how oh, great. Uh, they saw a, a mountain lion by their property. Okay. She lives by the cattle moraine. And uh, anyway, so the Milwaukee Lion, there's been, I mean, the legend lives on like last week, Monday when we were talking. Yeah. Like we were having some fun and <laughs> I just was making fun of the whole enterprise yeah. and saying how it's all BS and stuff. And I just don't think it's I, it I hasn't been disproven yet. No, it hasn't. And like cops have seen it. OK. And so they, they, did you see they saw the, the, the tracks? No. There, you know, they found some. Tra- I mean, somebody could have could put those tracks. Of course, it could be a hoax. But they saw the tracks anyway. I'm much more of a firm believer in the Milwaukee line because there was a mountain line in oh. Chicago last year. There was one in Waukesha ten years ago. It's just oh. not unheard of. Well, you know what? Wait, what? wait, hold on. Let, let me replay the. Let me replay the audio. Well, I tell you what. If if they actually if they actually get concrete proof of the Milwaukee line, yeah, a- then I will have a night out. And that everybody that's listening to this podcast and comes up and says, like, Mike, I bet money on the Milwaukee Lion and you lost, I'll buy you a beer. I'm so there. So we'll have a night, like at the end of August or something like that. If they can find the Milwaukee Lion before the end of August, I'll buy everybody who's listening to this podcast and shows up a beer. Because I think it's all, I think think everybody is jumping on this. Well, you know what? I think it's real. I believe in the Milwaukee Lion. So it looks like Mike's going to be buying beer for us. <laughs> yeah, probably have to buy beer. <laughs> you um, said you didn't believe it. I didn't. And I and now I've changed my tune of the Milwaukee right. Lion. I well, think he's I'll real. look forward to a nice frosty cold one from you next okay. time we're out. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So that we mm. talk about that in the interview and that's fine. Okay. Excellent. Um, 
anyway, the other the rest of the stuff the past week, I've been listening to mixes today from our recording. Yeah, sessions. me too. I've been listening to those lots. So trying to do that. So um, if you guys like our band, and I hope you do since you're listening to this, uh, Sunspot, you should be. Uh, we got some new songs. It'll be a treat for you. And that'll be coming out. Um, we don't know that date it'll be coming out, but we'll do a preview on August 18th. Ooh, that sounds fun. So let's do a preview on August 18th on the Jimmy K show. And we'll yes. have links. We'll have links to that. Great. Great. And stuff. So we'll do a, a preview of the songs in one of our before one of our Madison shows. Yeah. And they do a, like a live broadcast across the interwebs. Oh, that's right. Uh, so that our, our can share that link if people want right. to listen to the live. Thing. So people have a chance to be able to hear us that's do some live right. showing uh, in just a couple of weeks. Anyway, so that was exciting. So I've been doing that. Thinking about the Milwaukee line. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot has happened in the last week because we continue to work at the studio and and then that that consumed pretty much the right <laughs> the entirety of last week and uh, well, and I tell you on on Thursday I was out like I was out of mental energy yeah so on Thursday I, tried, I was working on writing something I think I was writing show notes for. Uh, uh, that episode and I just didn't have it. Yeah. Like it took me like two hours to write something that should take me like an hour. Well, I knew you were exhausted and out of energy when you did not request that we go through Taco Bell. On your, <laughs> the <way to> your <laughs> house. That's true. That's true. There's that usually almost always the end of the night stop. But yeah, no, I, uh, it's like there must be some kind of mental exhaustion going on here. Right. Cause it's like, why didn't I want food? <laughs> I always, it's like, it's there like three bucks. And it's just that feeling of uh, foulness before you yeah. go to bed that yeah. seems to um, like it's so great when you're doing it. Very appealing. You? Like when you got your, <laughs> you got your head in it and it's awesome. It's like a, just a full face full of nachos yeah. bel grande. You're like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> and then about halfway through, you're like, I'm, I'm questioning my life choices. Oh, right. What has led me to this point? It's true. Um, anyway. But yeah, so it was exhausting, but well worth it. I think um, I, I'm really excited about the new recordings, and I'm excited for people to hear them and see what they think. And Yeah, and their songs taken right from the podcast. Yeah. So if you're a regular podcast listener, you're going to recognize the songs, but they're going to sound a lot more... Shinier. Yeah, bigger, huger. Like um, The stuff we put on the podcast a lot of times is very... It's a very raw, raw. performance. Yeah. You know, we're doing it. We're, we're creating something uh, quickly and right. for fun and something you might enjoy. And then we take the best of that and then we put it into a shiny, beautiful, sexy package. Mm-hmm. And then we um, strut in front of you. That's right. Like seductively. It's it's great. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we should get uh, to the main event, which is our discussion with Linda. Yes. And she's, I mean... Uh, I've wanted to talk to Linda Gavi for a long time, and I didn't realize that she was from Wisconsin for a long time. Wow, so that's kind of so, fun to discover yeah, that. Yeah, so I was one because, you know, when the stories um, came out of this quote-unquote werewolf near Whitewater, mm-hmm, right. when we were in high school, I really was like, oh my God, I mean, there's a werewolf in Whitewater. <laughs> so cool. That's crazy. <laughs> and then later on this woman woman wrote a book on it and she was appearing at all these shows and everything like that and then i saw that you know she's from wisconsin and then she'd done all these you know all these different um stories since then and you know she only lives 15 minutes from where wow. i grew up so that Perfect. i thought that was exciting that we do have you know we have all these like think That's about our exciting. think about our ufo hunter um, yeah. you know friends and stuff we've, right. already, we've had two ufo experts from southeastern wisconsin so, now we amazing. have a bigfoot you know like a a wolf man expert from southeast Wisconsin today. 
Um, I, I don't know if there's something in the water here. I, it's definitely not in the. It must be in the snow. Well, I was gonna it say maybe all those, those winters of being cooped up make people sit there and think and wonder about things and I don't know. and give us cabin fever. So it's yeah. like okay, let's <laughs> start seeing things. Yeah, but instead of having some wonderful fantasy, we think about monsters. Well, and um, it's just interesting because there's plenty of weirdness right in our own backyard, and I love that. And uh, but Linda's done stuff for I mean books all over the country. Her last book is called American Monsters. Okay. And that's about, I mean, that's about different folk tales and legends and, and monster sightings all across the country. So, um, so Linda has spread from just being like the local reporter yeah. in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, writing about the beast at Bray Road to someone who's, you know, been on every, I mean, Discovery wow. Channel, History Channel, um, every kind of Bigfoot files and stuff like that's that. That's impressive. Linda's always on it. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah. Let's hear what she had to say to you. Okay. Let's do it. So this is a special treat today because uh, I've been reading this author's work um, for a long time now. And as somebody uh, from southeastern Wisconsin, Linda Godfrey uh, was a hero to us who are our heroine to us who are interested in uh, weird phenomena, paranormal and, and cryptozoology and everything like that. And so it's really fun to have, in our, have her on the show today. Hi, Linda. How you doing? Hello. I'm great. Thanks. And uh, so where are you right now? Are you in Wisconsin right now? I am, yes. Yep, I'm sitting in my office about 10 feet from a very deep kettle, um, <laughs> just south of Kettle Moraine State Forest, southern unit. Okay, that's exciting. So um, so I grew up in Big Bend. Oh, northern right, unit. Yeah, so right down the street, not, mm-hmm. not too far away. And right. uh, so did my sister, Allison, from Milwaukee Ghosts, who I know you've probably talked to before a bunch I of times. Lovely person. Mm-hmm. Well, good. At least somebody thinks so. That'll be great. <laughs> um, anyway, we just, you know, so you've, I mean, you've written so many books and I've been looking up your, you know, your, uh, your bibliography, too, of all the books you've written. And I've got to say, from true crime to fantasy to all this kind of nonfiction, you know, about weird stuff. How do you, I mean, how do you have the time to write? Like, how often do you write? Well, you know, when I've got a contract for a book, um, I parcel it out and I do the math and say, okay, if I'm going to do this many words in this many months or or weeks or whatever, I'm going to have to come down to this many words a day. Mm-hmm. And then I just make sure that I, you know, stick to that as closely as I can. And um, I'm fortunate in that um, my husband has actually earned our main living for all of this time. So I've been able to really get into it full time and, and devote myself to it. And it's uh, other than artwork, um, I'm also an artist. Okay. Uh, you know, that's really my main, uh, my main work that I do. Well, how would, uh, and I just, I mean, how many books have you published? Um, I think, I, I think the one I just finished will be 17, and that's, that's counting um, the fantasy book. Okay. Wow. That's, I, I mean, that's why I say, like, that's what I was saying, like, how often do you have to write, I mean, for 17 books, the, uh, I mean, just getting in there, I mean, that's like the guy that wrote the Goosebumps books, right? Like, he wrote oh. 50 of them. <laughs> 
Well, you know, and some some are a little more involved than others, and um, you know, longer than others, and the the research varies. But um, I really got into it kind of late in life, you know, or I think I'd have a lot more. And well, let's let's talk a little bit about that because I remember. I mean, most people who are in the Midwest would probably recognize your name just from the cover of Weird Wisconsin because oh. that was in every bookstore around I mean prominently featured in every bookstore I mean like in like the year 2000 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well it was it would have been um, 2005 I believe and then Weird Michigan followed it right after and uh, I, I just so I just so it's like if you saw if you were in Wisconsin, um, and you went to a bookstore, you saw Weird Wisconsin. So Linda is one of the authors on it. And uh, I always thought that was a great book and a, a great website, and I was always excited about it. Yeah. Um, but let's get into a little bit. Um, what got you into wanting to write about weird stuff in the first place? Like, were you attacked by a werewolf? No. <laughs> okay, just making sure that you didn't have something it's like, you know, you saw when you were a kid, you were attacked by a, a werewolf, and then you had to write about it later in life or something like that. Like, I got I to gotta find him. No, no. They were probably the last thing on my mind when I was a kid. But my dad was a science fiction fan. And so we always had um, all of those early science fiction um, magazines and, and uh, monthly collections of stories around the house. So, you know, I grew up seeing illustrations of spacecraft and the little green man and all that kind of thing. And I was really into um, children's fantasy, you know, anything to do with fairies, that kind of thing. I spent my summers combing a quarry for these little quartz marble or marbly, uh, well, they no, I should say quartz rocks that my sister and I called fairy teeth. Okay. They, you know, they, it was just our idea, but we somehow decided these little rounded, um, smooth little pebble things were fairy's teeth and we amassed a huge bag of them <laughs> from this from this quarry and we believed that the fairies lived in the street lights. We had this whole fairy cosmology figured out, you know. So I was kind of my head was kind of in these places when I was a kid, but I really wasn't thinking werewolves or um, you know, I, I didn't know what cryptozoology was. So it wasn't in my head to do that ever. So what, um, what was the kind of, what was the trigger that you, you thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start writing about this stuff and I'm, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Like, you know, what was, what was an, ex- was it an experience or was it a news story or, I mean, what got you into it? I mean, beyond the initial childhood fascination with, uh, you know, fairies and the like. Well, um, my degree is in art education, okay. and I had done uh, some work in uh, different schools teaching art and also was working um, on fine art and had some gallery representation and things like that. So I was going on in that vein, and I had this real desire to do editorial cartoons or a weekly comic strip, and I, I wanted to go for the big kahuna and have nationwide syndication. Sure. And so I really, really worked at that. I worked so hard. I had um, 12 different complete comic strip concepts written out, with, and that's 
12, in order to submit to a syndicate, you had to have about 12 weeks of finished artwork and comics, which is really a lot of work. I was going to say that's a daily, that's a daily strip for half, you know, yeah, it's a quarter. Exactly. It's a lot of work. And I did that and I was getting really close. You know, I was on a first name basis with, um, the director at uh, King Features and, um, Almost got one, and then just kind of at the last minute, it was turned down. And I was so discouraged that um, I decided I would just draw some new, uh, newspaper cartoons for free and just get in print, you know, and maybe that would help. So sure. I went to the county, Walworth County newspaper called The Week, which was a really nice weekly paper. It had a lot of good features and editorials. It wasn't just, um, I've heard some stories have wrongly referred to it as like a one of those advertiser type of of things and it had ads but it, that wasn't um really what that newspaper was about but they agreed to let sure we'll take something free and they liked the first ones i did so they started paying me eight dollars a week <laughs> okay hey everybody starts somewhere and this was not the great depression i mean <laughs> you know it's it it was like pretty much okay just a little bit more than free we'll give you right and um I did that for a while, maybe uh, close to a year, and one day their um, feature writer, main feature writer, quit. I happened to be on the phone with the editor, and he said to me, hey, how would you like to uh, be a feature writer and you know, report for the newspaper? And I thought for a second, and I was thinking, hmm, I never had a journalism class, but hmm, how hard could it be? Because right. I... I did always do very well. Uh, you know, writing was always my second love, and mm -hmm. um, I had all the advanced courses in college, and I, I did like it, and I thought I could do it. So I said, sure. And then one of the very first stories that I got came about from people telling me that they were hearing rumors that people around Elkhorn, Wisconsin, were seeing something they called a werewolf out on this country road called Bray Road. Mm -hmm. that sort of a uh, shortcut between two highways out to the hospital. And what what year was that? Well, that was happening in December of 1991. And the story was actually printed on that New Year's Eve weekend. So it was um, the De December 1991 into January 1992. And, and I remember I was in high school at the time. And and so just to to piggyback on that, when like the idea that there was a werewolf within you know fifty miles of my house, I mean I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. And it came <laughs> and it came not too long after after that uh, the horror big horicon ghost story that came <laughs> out, and I was like, Wisconsin is a hotbed of paranormal activity. Finally, well, it actually is, and it actually has been for a very very long time. But, you know, I didn't really take it all that seriously at first. Sure. I, I remember laughing when I heard about it, and it just seemed absurd to me. But then I discovered that I knew people who um, were saying this, and I didn't think that they were big jokers or anything like that. I, and then I dug around a little and found out that our county animal control officer actually had a file folder marked Werewolf, in which he was compiling all of the sightings that people were calling in and two things about that struck me one was that hoaxers and jokers don't normally call in to the local authorities 
and leave their name and contact info right so that they can be contacted and prosecuted later you know <laughs> so that struck me as hmm there might be something to that and then when i went and looked at these names um, again and they seemed like just normal regular people and i talked to them i believe them i didn't think that they seemed like they were joking or hoaxing they seemed genuinely frightened most of them mm-hmm. and that was what really did it and talking about it with my editor you know um people would say well you know what made you think this was a newspaper story well i'm sorry but when your county animal control officer has a file folder labeled werewolf that's news right and that's the, i mean that's the hottest story in the county Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I mean, that, that was on the new, I mean, that was on the uh, the Milwaukee TV news and things yep. like that. Like, it, it was a pretty sensational story at the time. It exploded. I was not prepared for that. I thought it would just, you know, people would laugh a little and it would go away. But instead, it went, as you said, on all the Milwaukee TV stations, I started getting um, phone calls to be on radio stations all around the United States and into Canada. Um it was just something that uh, people seemed to have this inordinate interest in. Um, I remember Inside Edition came out and Sci-Fi's New In Search Of, and this was all just happening. It was just crazy. And then the thing that um, occurred after that was not only did people start writing to me, I became sort of the de facto go-to person for those who saw not even just werewolves, but um, and I use that term loosely because I don't think they're werewolves. Right. But um, people who saw Bigfoot or odd birds or other weird things. And the media, every time they wanted a story about werewolves, they would come to me because really no one else at the time was collecting contemporary sighting reports of upright canines upright unknown canines, as I really like to call them. Sure. Which is the closest thing they could find to a werewolf. And so I, I became both the, the media go-to person and the reportee, or report um, re- person reports, witness reports is what I'm trying to say. Excuse and me. so you started getting mm-hmm. phone calls and letters and things like that from people, I mean, yes. who, were, who had seen weird stuff. Right. And who weren't even... Who had no relation to the beast of Bray Road. Right. I mean, they were coming from the Virgin Islands, um, all the states of the Union, all over the place. And, of course, Wisconsin, too. And I didn't really know what to think at that time. But I did believe that, at the very least, it might be folklore if it turned out to be nothing else. And I thought, somebody's got to keep track of these. I really owe it to all these people who write in good faith. And I owe it to people who may be interested in the future to just keep track of these things. And I began my own files. And I have to say, it was that was 1992. And my first book did not come out until 2003. So it was 11 years. I worked for the paper for 10 years. And during that time, I wrote articles on lots of other things, even some that won national awards. I, I wrote maybe... Four other articles that were just basically update columns on the Beast of Bray Road. Mm -hmm. And never won a thing for either or any of those. (laughs) You know, 
they were just kind of there. In fact, people around here mostly remembered me for the um, personal life column that I wrote about my family every week. My poor kids kind of grew up having, you know, every time they'd throw their socks in the living room, they'd have the whole town would know about it. Okay. <laughs> you know, so I was doing a lot of other things. I was teaching part time. I was. I went back to school to uh, uh, renew some of my teaching credentials. I really was not even at that time contemplating a career um, chasing strange animals and writing books about them. And in fact, my first book was Local Historic True Crime, and that was The Poison Widow, A True Story of Sin, Strychnine, and Murder, which was about this sensational, sensational poison murder and ensuing trial that happened in Whitewater, Wisconsin in the 1920s that was almost completely swept under the rug. It was a very conservative community, and nobody wanted to talk about the fact that they had this uh, lurid, as they liked, as the headlines often said, um, incident where this woman fell in love with her high school border, college border, and between the two of them, they murdered their husband with strychnine and would have gotten away, except then she also tried to kill their four children. You oh, know, in the, nice. In, yeah, in the 20s, this just wasn't done. And uh, I spent six years researching that. And uh, when I was ready to put it together, I sold it without too much trouble to um, Trails Media, which was the publishing company for Wisconsin Trails Magazine. When you were doing the research on that, and like you said, like... It's, you know, Whitewater is not a big town, and you go in there and you try to you talk to people about something or do the research on something unpleasant like right. that. It's like walking in a plane field and say, like, hey, how about that Ed Gein guy, everybody? Huh? <laughs> like him? Look at those lampshades, huh? Are those skin, yeah. too? Yeah, was that your auntie guy? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you can see... Um, you know, in a in a in a large city, you have plenty of people interested in the weird stuff. Like like Milwaukee, you got my sister who's just like, oh yeah, we'll we'll take your weirdest stories and disasters and tragedies and things. But in a small town, those things I I feel like they they hit closer to home. They do, although um, it's interesting. Most people were really very very fascinated with it. The only people who I had any trouble with um, was. And it wasn't really trouble. I could just tell they kind of wish I hadn't done it. But it was one of the surviving relatives, you know, because her all of her children except the youngest were uh, passed away by then, and she was deceased. And uh, the most of most of the major players were. But it was just really weird because there were coincidences that popped up. For instance, the night that the four children were to be killed, one of them had invited uh, their little friend along on this outing where it was to happen. And I found out the little friend had grown up and was my next-door neighbor in Elkhorn. Oh, man, that's great. I know. It's amazing. And when she was finally suspected and tracked down and charged, it turns out the person who did it was a, a young attorney named Godfrey who happened to have been related to my husband. So that's that. That is the story you were meant to write, I think. Yeah, it was like this is personal. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but six years, six years of research. Yeah. So you'd spent six years researching uh, this story, got a book deal, wrote the book, mm -hmm. and um, then what? Le I mean, what was your your next book? Uh, was the Beast of Bray Road, right? Right, and. 
that was sort of my intention. The publisher said that, um, well, well, I, I brought in the manuscript, and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was, you know, just uh, 2003, but that was still when you had to print out the whole manuscript and put it in a big box and either mail it or physically deliver it. And so I drove over to Black Earth to deliver it, and he looked at me and he said, okay, so what do you got next? And I said, well, would you believe werewolves? <laughs> and again, not believing in werewolves, but I've learned that publishers think it's a much sexier term than unknown upright canine. Okay, and and okay, and just to say, we don't want to spoil the book for anybody who wants to get through it. And, and it's it is a a very interesting book, and it's it's a good story of the time, and also how these things, um, you know, how phenomena went before right. the internet. You know, like how stories get developed and and how things change and. and um, in the way before people like posting in online forums or somebody taking a picture on Facebook and, and kind of how stories get spread. I think it's a good story of that. Thank you. And yes, that's actually kind of the basis on which I sold that. Um, you know, I said I want to write not just some lurid book of scared people running from monsters, but I want to show how this sort of took over the town socially and how the people who lived there were affected, what people did to react to it in town, you know, because we had things happening like the local bars were offering silver bullet specials and <laughs> and there were the bakery was making lake uh, the bakery was making werewolf cookies, Lakeland Bakery, and we had busloads of tourists coming up um, from Illinois and taking rides down Bray Road. So there was all of this um, kind of circus like atmosphere going on. And I thought that was really, at the time, as interesting as the monster to just kind of document the social aspects of what happens in a town when you have this kind of thing come in and just unsettle everyone. And uh, and you said an interesting term, but you said it a couple of times. You say upright walking canines? Right, because they're mostly identified by the fact that they walk on their hind legs. And otherwise, otherwise, they're canine. Right. And, and so do you think that, um, you like, when people saw it, were they seeing an upright walking canine walk for like five minutes or walk like 50 steps? Um, probably both. I mean, there was one incident where several junior high kids were chased for quite a distance by one when they were out sledding. And... My son, one of my sons at the time, uh, knew one of those kids very well, and he said, Mom, he's not joking or making that up. He's really scared. They really saw it. You know, so I tended to believe them, but um, every time they would look back, they would see it still coming on its hind legs. Mm-hmm. There were um, ones that would come across the creature while it was maybe kneeling or crouching over something, and then it would stand up and start to follow them. Uh, one had to run toward her car and jump at the car. So it seemed to be that uh, the, the real hallmark of this creature was that it could walk, stand, and run upright and use its forelimb paws for uh, things that you wouldn't really expect them to use. You know, people would see this thing holding something in its hands um with the palms up and then bringing both hands to its face to eat, kind of like we need a corn on the cob. You sure, know? yeah. 
except it didn't really have the fingers to grab around it. Um, although people, 23 years later, people are still telling me that when they get a good look at those front paws, or even the, the rear paws, they'll say, you know, they were paws, not uh, hands, but they were elongated. They were like um, almost between paws and hands. And that makes sense because something with very long paws and um, four paws and, and rear paws would both be able to balance better and hold on to things or use those front limbs in ways that these sorts of animals usually can't. And it would give them some advantages, I think, and, and give them that um, chance to sort of advance via natural selection. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting theory. And, I mean, I know that you've been researching the reports of this, and it's not just Wisconsin. Like you, I mean, it's Michigan, it's Texas. Mm-hmm. Like, how many how many areas do you think that you've heard reports of of the upright canines, the the, the dogmen kind of thing? Oh, they're all over. Um, Canada is really one of the hot places lately. Um, I'm getting more and more from California. Um, some of the other West Coast states. The whole East Coast, east of the Mississippi, um, it's just about every state. Texas, Oklahoma are, are pretty active. Um, the only ones that don't seem to have it so much, and maybe it's just because the population is more sparse or people haven't heard of me, maybe the terrain just isn't right, would be those um, kind of central northern western states, Utah, Idaho, um, you know, right in there. I haven't gotten any from those states but uh, but the Four Corners area out there is really active you know I have a friend J.C. Johnson who um, gets all kinds of things and I also should mention I think that there are different types um, some seem like they very well could be just some sort of natural animal that for some reason has learned or adapted to walk and run on its hind legs which is not a supernatural act because any kind of mammal just about can be trained to do that or can learn to if its forepaws or front limbs are injured or missing. Sure, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, they, and probably 90% of the reports I get don't have it doing much else than that. Um, but then there's another group where they are different. And there's one type that happens to come in often during, uh, or excuse me, around Native American reservations. And these are a little different. They're bigger. They're generally jet black. They have actual shoulders rather than just more muscular upper forelimbs. Okay. And that's a big deal. It's a big difference because primates and people, humans, have um, our shoulders are created so that we can grab branches, grab things, hang on to stuff. Um, We have elbows that rotate in a certain way so we can pitch. Canines don't really have that type of shoulder structure. They've got um, something that's designed to absorb impact from their forelimbs hitting the ground. So they're arranged very, very differently. Sure. And so I'm, I'm trying to get the visual here. So, so when you think of it, when you think of a, um, a wolf man or you know, a human, when you think of that traditional look or an ape, Right. It's the, the shoulders are like to the side of the head. Right. And then when you think of a dog, 
the sh- you know, or a cat or, a, you know, a, a quadrupedal creature, the shoulders are forward facing instead of side to side facing. Am I kind of getting that right? Yeah, yeah. What would sort of correlate to shoulders? They, they still aren't really shoulders, but kind of the, the same thing. But picture your dog sitting up and begging for a treat. You know, he's got these little arms right in front of him. And if you look at a picture of a dog that's sitting up, you won't see those shoulders. It'll be a smooth line from the neck um, right down to the body. You know, so it's a, it's a very different sort of thing. But there are there's a certain subtype um, that has very large size shoulders, paws that are described as actual hands, and red glowing eyes. And I associate these with um, different types of transforming creatures that are are related perhaps to um, the activity of certain types of medicine men on these reservations that have turned down what uh, my native friends would call a dark path. And okay. that, and that they're able to still not in my mind. They, they they don't necessarily transform bodily, where you know all of their bone structure is changing, and their corpuscles change, and their atoms change, and you know they they turn out their their DNA changes them into a canine. I don't think that's what what is happening, but there's a certain illusion, and they're able to take their, um, according to what I've read. Their spirit bodies or astral doubles and project this image of one of these creatures. So would that be like clinical lycanthropy, where they, you know, they um, they get into that belief that um, they are a werewolf? Well, it takes it beyond that. I mean, they. I think in these cases, they still know what they are. They're very conscious that they're projecting. An image, but because they're starting with human and kind of building around it, that's why they end up with the with the eyes and with the with the um, well, not the red eyes, but with with these very dominating eyes, with the shoulders, with the um, hands, that kind of thing. Whereas people who have the clinical lycanthropy, which is a sort of uh, psychological syndrome, believe that they are werewolves to the point where. They can think that, okay, this is when I'm going through the change, look in a mirror and see themselves as a wolf. But you or I walking up behind them would just see a person looking in the mirror. And for mm-hmm. instance, there's been an instance of this out on Bray Road where there was a person who had something like this, some kind of psychosis. Um, you know, I wouldn't presume to diagnose it exactly. Of but, course. But he had this habit that people people were calling the 911 and saying, Help, we're out on Bray Road, and this naked man just jumped on the car, and he's on our windshield. And Oh, no- man. <laughs> Notice they weren't saying, there's a werewolf on our car. They were saying, there's this naked man who's on our car. That's what they saw. He undoubtedly was viewing himself as a werewolf. But, uh, again, that's a different sort of thing. Okay, so you see it like, um, there's a Michael Crichton book, in, in Eaters of the Dead. Mm-hmm. He kind of talks about uh, a tribe that that does that with bears mm. that have like they, they wear like bear skins mm-hmm. and yeah. and um, you know they they project their their bear presence right. onto other people and bear attack them. Yeah, bear walkers is a good way to put it. That's the term. Yeah, and um, and so that's so you're seeing as there's the there's the sightings of upright canines that you know like just walking around that. Um, 
learned somehow to to walk on on two feet and then there's more of the mystical kind Mm -hmm. well yeah and and it's not cut and dried but it's just what i have observed sure and i can't say for sure what any of them are of course and i actually have um started moving toward the idea that there may be more to the mystical ones and more types of mystical ones than I realized previously. Because um, after you get time after time after time where people are telling you that it looked me in the eye and it had this intelligent look as if it were smarter than me and it were superior, it was superior to me and that... Um, I had this feeling that it was sending me... You don't have a werewolf coming at you right now, right? We have a mini werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) We have... uh, And and he uh, just saw somebody drive by, so that was a major event for him. Sorry. Sure. Uh, sure. But anyway, um, I've totally lost track of where I was. We were going to the different types of of, of the more... um, Like the shaman style. Right. Right. Um, And there are actually different animal forms that the shamans are able to assume even very small forms because they're just sort of projecting and or inhabiting, say, a large moth or an owl or um, among some of the uh, northern Algonquian tribes, bear walkers are very, very prevalent. And... All of these things are still being practiced today. It's not something from the distant past. And they're very similar, actually, to nature-based um, tribes with shaman religious leaders all around the world. It's not just the Native Americans who have this sort of traditions. Others will call them by different names. But it's it's a very basic uh, worldwide type of thing. So, um, you ha- yeah, so you have the possibly naturally adapted animals. You have some that are these um, conjured things. There are supposed to be other types of dark beings that look like wolves that are conjured via um, different kinds of really horrible black magic practices, you know, that I don't even want to go there. Um, But those are supposed to be able to produce some of them. Um, some people think that they may be aliens or that they are produced by government experiments. Sure. Um, I think that personally, canine DNA and human DNA are just not compatible enough to make anything. Um, you know, there, it, it, the DNA just doesn't work that way. I don't think maybe maybe if you were super duper super duper super advanced, but I don't think we're that far yet. Right, that's the island of Doctor Moreau, mm-hmm. or whatever. And yeah, and, and, and I don't scientists really got to be hiding something if 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 they're that far. Exactly, and like I keep saying, what would be the point? Why would you want human-like, super intelligent canines? For I, I guess a more reliable uh, hunting partner, maybe <laughs> dog or maybe. But I mean, why would you want something that's you know seven feet tall and vicious as all get out and smarter than you, you know, or at least it thinks it's smarter than you. Right. No, that'd be the that'd be the last thing I'd want walking around. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would be to humanity's benefit. Um, and then there's also there's another category 
which I call the phantom dogs. And these would be like the uh, places that are said to be haunted by hellhounds, which are generally um, large black dogs that will chase somebody and then pop out of existence. You know, they go invisible. Or they show up in people's bedrooms where all of a sudden there's this tall, upright wolf thing, often described as Anubis, um, the Egyptian god of the dead. Sure. In, in the bedroom, one or two of them just staring around, and then they vanish. So you know this is not a flesh-and-blood animal you're dealing with. It's something else. But they don't act like skinwalkers. They don't act like um, the, the highway walkers. Uh, there's something completely different. So there's a whole range of possibilities that people are seeing, and um, I try to address this in my books and, and show that there are differences between them. And actually, it's really only become more and more clear to me as I've written these books over the past 13 years or so um, that these different categories exist more clearly than I thought in the beginning. So you, in the beginning, you might have thought of, okay, there's, here's a one-size-fits-all explanation. It's just got to be dogs that are walking around. You know, we've seen, them, we've seen them do it in movies. We know they can be trained to do that. Right. Get a big dog walking, and, and they're you know they're strong as all get out. So a big dog mm-hmm. walking on two legs, scaring the crap out of people, fine. Mm-hmm. Right. But then you know, you get a couple of these bedroom phantoms, or a couple of the skinwalker type manifestations, and you think, well, there's just a few. You know, it's really not worth bothering. But then they continue to come in and continue to come in, and the more people hear about it, the more people write, and then I have to start thinking, well. This is getting to be significant, even if it's still not, you know, like 50% of the sightings. It's a lot of sightings, and there are a lot of people having this experience. So um, I always say if you continue, if you say you're investigating something and you continue to ignore the parts that are inconvenient to you, then you're really not investigating anymore. You're just continuing to perpetuate your own biases. Sure. Oh, yeah. And I so, mean, and that's that's such a thing that happens uh, in this industry all the time. Yes, yeah, it it is true, and you know it's easy to understand because people want to understand things and kind of nail them down in their own mind, and so they read a couple of things and they go, "Okay, I know that's what this is." Yes, I am one who believes this, and then they start a Facebook page, and anybody who disagrees with them is anathema. And must be destroyed, and, right? You know, I, and com- or like banned from their page and things right. like that. It, I see that happen all the time. Yeah, it's it's kind of just um, you know falling in love with your own opinion and closing your mind to the fact that there are other things going on. You know, and um, it's human nature. You know, I can see that, but it doesn't make for good investigation because. You never know what you're closing your mind to, and maybe only a little bit of it's true, but if you close your mind to the whole thing, you'll miss that little bit that might have enlightened your own actual belief. That's absolutely right. And, um, you know, oh, here's something I did want to ask you. Uh, Did you ever see the Beast of Bray Road movie? Yes. Okay. And (laughs) did you get a credit or anything? I mean, first of all, it had nothing to do with the story. No, no. No, it, and it was, um, I'll tell you, they, they took the title and just made um, kind of a grade B slasher movie 
that could be subtitled eight different ways that a wild animal could tear apart a human being if it were supernatural. And and it's you know some people have enjoyed it. It it's got some fun moments. It has it has some schlock value. Yeah, it has. Yeah, exactly. And um, I had nothing to do with it. I have you will you can search the credits up and down. You won't find um, anything there for me. I did not and do not receive any money from it. And the uh, the trails publisher had a lawyer that would have loved to have sued them, and she looked at it very uh, closely. But she finally concluded she couldn't because it bore so little resemblance. It didn't bear enough resemblance to my book. You know, it's they just took the title and ran with it. Right, and I think the I think the movie was developed. I remember looking at the IMDb page because it came out. I mean, eight nine years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and only I mean only a couple of years after your book, but it seemed like the guy that uh, uh, had developed it and wrote the script and directed it was someone from Waukesha. Yeah, I think that there were some ties, definitely. Like he grew up in Waukesha and then moved out to California, and somebody gave him a few, <laughs> a few bucks, just a few, to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then he thought, like, well, let's let's use this, let's use this story from from my youth. But I think, um, yeah, it doesn't have any. I just I was wondering what your opinion of it was because you're very charitable, I believe, when you're talking <laughs> about the film, The Beast of Bray Road. Because when I saw it, I thought it would have something to do with your book. Well, a lot of people do, and so I guess in a way, perhaps it has um, helped sell some of my books. I, I sure, you know, I, it's hard hard telling. And then if it does, people find out that it had nothing to do with the actual events that occurred here in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. But I mean, people are always going to go and do what benefits themselves, and I accept that, you know. And it's kind of the same way with um, people who investigate different sorts of strange creatures, they have a tendency to say, well, um, you know, I'm one that believes you should always carry firearms and um, try and shoot one if you can. And I'm one that, which actually I don't believe in shooting them, but uh, but there are different techniques. You know, one will say, yeah, you have to go out and sit in the woods all night or you're never going to see one. And another one will say, well, no, um, that's not how we do it. We go and we leave a candy bar on a log and we come back in the morning, you know, and this is how, that's how you do it. And another one will say, no, you got to spend like $10,000 on electronics and set up this little sound stage in the woods with eight trail cams. And that's how you do it. I tend to think that there's room for all these ways because nobody's really been successful. Right. Nobody, Nobody really, we don't have one of these like in a cage in a zoo yet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nobody really, really knows for sure what they are. I mean, I can give you all my best theories based on information that I've gotten over 23 years. That doesn't mean that I know what they are or that I'm an expert even. I just have a lot of accumulated information. Um, But I think there's room for all these uh, different types and ways of seeking them and, and seeking the information. And since nobody knows, you might we might as well all keep trying all these different ways and and who knows who's going to turn up with uh, maybe the smoking gun one of these days. One of know? these days, I hope. Well, there's also um, there's a Beast of Bray Road band here in Madison. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they're called the Beast of Bray Road. I, but I, I think the guitar player is originally from Milwaukee, and that's why they picked the uh, name. But uh, no, well, they, just, they just played in town this last weekend, and I saw it. And I was like, oh, that's, that's perfect synergy. I'm about to talk to Linda. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in Whitewater, there's... Um, 
a brew pub called Second Salem, and they have a Beast of Bray Road Ale. Oh my God! I need to drink that now. I know it's, it's I know good. it's two fifteen in the afternoon, but that's never <laughs> it's not too early for a paranormal beer. <laughs> no, and it's called Second Salem, and uh, they have really good food, and you know the Beast of Bray Road. I'm trying to get them to do a Bigfoot um, based beer, but they haven't listened to me yet. Um, but they're all kind of named for things like that. All their their different brews, and and uh, it's. It's really fun. and oh, you know, I'll put a link to that place in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. People would get a big kick out of it, I think. So, um, well, you know. I, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, the merchandising of things like that is just going to happen. And um, to fight it is pointless. You might as well enjoy it. Right, because it's fun. And um, as long as it's not dangerous and nobody's getting their intellectual property stolen, it can be a exactly. lot of fun. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there are things um, I... From time to time, we'll find people are using my personal, my illustrations that I've made for my books um, on their Facebook headers, or um, even I, I found one recently where somebody had it on their header and they had it built into a collage on one of their main pages. And I kind of had to go, hey, that's my drawing. Right. <laughs> it has copyright on it, it has my signature right on the bottom of it. And they're like, well, but that's what it looks like. And I had to say, oh, I'm sorry, that's not permitted for you to use it. You know, there's certain places where you have to go and defend. But um, you can't copyright a title, and you can't really copyright just an idea, you know, as long as people execute it a certain way. So there's always going to be that. Well, I would, I would recommend uh, going to see the band, buying the book, and stealing the movie. Uh, that's... <laughs> that's that's my personal that's my personal belief, and I'll take the heat for whatever it takes. Would you like to hear something else really weird? Um, <laughs> I would love it. My first fantasy novel that is co-published with my agent, an agency in New York, uh, Distel and God- Godrich, um, is titled God Johnson, and that was a name that just came out of me, came to me out of the blue, and I wrote this fantasy novel, and I remember googling it and finding nothing. Well, when it did finally come out, there's a Minneapolis band called God Johnson. Oh, that's interesting. Why? You know, how would somebody else pick that same name? It's just really, really weird. Um, and and my my story is about um, one a, a past a, a past era demigod who's still hanging around and he can't get any to follow him so he takes on the form of Abraham Lincoln so women will trust him <laughs> I love it and, and it's based in Madison Wisconsin by the way and you and you can find it on my uh, website lindagodfrey.com if you don't mind a little shameless self-promotion oh, no, there we're all uh, about shameless self-promotion <laughs> we're happy to put links to your books and everything and um, and uh, you know speaking of you know your last book was American Monsters that came out last year yes and, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, you, you were saying like you were in the, this, the brew pub to have a Bigfoot beer and stuff like that. But so what do you think is the best Bigfoot story you've ever heard or the most believable one, let's say, where you're like, you know what? I think this person is completely on that level. Wow, there are so many. Um, I mean, I've had my own experiences, you know, where I know it's true because I was there. Um, oh, well, but, well, that's that's a good one, too. We can go into a little bit of your own personal Bigfoot experiences. So 
you seen or heard the big guy? Um, yeah, I've actually, in American Monsters, there's one chapter I put in there because I got almost through with the book and I'm thinking, wow, all these people are volunteering to have their stories and I have this one and I I felt dishonest not putting it in the book. It is actually also um, a shortened version on my blog, lindagodfrey.com, if you just scroll back to uh, July 2012, which is when it happened. But I was walking just... I didn't even have a camera with me. I was just out for a Sunday stroll um, in this private area of the Kettle Moraine where I go frequently and I generally feel pretty safe and I hadn't even thought of Bigfoot being there. Mm-hmm. And I just took it in my head for some reason to try some tree knocks because I saw, and I didn't remember seeing this before, there were um, three saplings that had been bent over into like a perfect rainbow and somehow fastened down at the bottom. And I'll tell you, people walk around on the ridges between the kettles, but generally they do not go in these deep kettles because they're brambly, they're full of wood ticks. Um, there's nothing down there that you'd want, really. They're uh, slippery. The, it's very fine, very uh, short, thin layer of, of soil on rock. That was all, These were made by the glaciers, and, and they're kind of oddly constructed. Okay. I thought, well, who would have done that and I knew it was supposed to be a signal um, that Bigfoot are supposed to make to one another nobody really knows what it means but I thought well just for fun nobody's around I'm just going to bang on a tree a couple of times like they do on finding Bigfoot and I did that and to my great shock and surprise um, something down there after some major rustling around in the brush uh, answered me with a couple of knocks and I thought, nah, that can't be. And I did it again, and it did it again. And this went on three times, I think. And then there was more major rustling. And it was so, I could see big branches moving. And, you know, so I knew it wasn't a squirrel or a raccoon or something like that. So so what? at what time did you become terrified? Because well, I was starting I'm, to. I'm I already was, terrified after I was the first knock. To, I was starting to become terrified, but I thought to myself, it's either a human or a Bigfoot because nothing else can grab a stick and make the knocks. And I'm going to see what it is. And I was on the ridge that maybe about 10 feet in off the path where I thought I can still get back out to the main path and probably get out of here, you know, if, if I see something and, and don't want it. But um, I hit my tree one more time. And then in answer, instead of it hitting a tree, it, from somewhere about maybe 30, 40 feet up in the tree, um, this gigantic limb, it wasn't a little branch, It then this is a living oak tree full of foliage, which is why I couldn't really see the creature very well because he was behind all this foliage in, in the tree, took hold of this limb and wrenched it in two twists. They each sounded like... Um, you know, a crack of lightning. and About this, how big was the, this tree limb again? The, well, the tree limb was 35 feet long and about 8 inches in diameter and way up on the tree. And so it had to lean over and kind of twist it off it, to sort of, you know, leverage it. And it did that. It, it twisted it off about ha- and, and moved it laterally, horizontally until it was pointing at me. And that's a pretty big symbolic thing. And that unnerved me so much, 
at that point, I was panicked, and I just hit the tree because I didn't know what else to do. Maybe I was I'm thinking in my head, well, I'll just warn it off. Like, it'll know I'm really fierce if I hit the tree again. Sure. Because it wasn't that far away. It could have gotten me, I know, at that moment. Um, but then when I did that, there was a second big snapping sound, and it twisted the branch the rest of the way off the tree and dropped it way down to the kettle floor. And that's when I ran. I ran home. And I called someone I knew who lives in the area, and she came and met me with her 20-year-old daughter who knew nothing about Bigfoot. She just wanted to go along with her mom. Sure. And we went back down there, which was stupid because it was still down there. But I didn't think it would be. So we went down with tape measures and things, and that's when I, and I measured the branch. And then we saw two places on that branch where the bark had been rubbed away and generally the shape of a very large hand. And we found one of the pieces that fell off. I still have it. And then this big aroma was exuded from somewhere. And we smelled the Bigfoot smell. Well, that, kind of, And that's what everybody, everybody says, Bigfoot stinks. Yeah, yeah. And it can, I'm convinced they can emit these odors. And it was skunkish. It was like musky grass with a note of skunk is how I would describe it. And that's, it was. That's disgusting. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and it was pungent. I mean, it was really strong. And so um, we walked back up out of the kettle, and we were on the ridge behind it because it was a shallower way to walk back up from that tree. They, they're not always perfectly symmetrical, these, these kettles. And we were just standing there on the ridge taking another look around before we left, and her daughter screamed. Natalie screamed, and by the time we turned around to see where she was looking... It was gone, but she had seen it walk behind another big bunch of foliage, kind of escaping the kettle area. It was actually in the kettle on the other side of the ridge. So she saw something move. She saw the, the she saw the Bigfoot. Oh. She, she saw it. She said it was bigger than a human. She said it was not walk. She said it was moving fast, but it wasn't running. She said I would call it striding, which she didn't know it, but that's the perfect way to describe how they move. And she described it as a light gray, blonde, light gray, light beige color, um, which is sometimes known as the blonde Bigfoot, which she thought they were all, you know, like dark brown or, or um, other colored. So, you know, it was a, a very um, unschooled in Bigfootery witness that saw it, and yet she oh, had a wow. description. Yeah, and so then that wasn't the end of it. We're all we're standing there gawking, hoping it'll come back out, and it growled at us. And it, it sounded, and and sound is hard to pinpoint in those kettles because they're sort of like natural amphitheaters. But we knew it was close. It was very close, and it was so deep this growl that it had to be something very large making it. And I just said, "Ladies, um, it's time we leave." And the hair was standing <laughs> on all of our necks, and. You know, we just kind of got out of there as, as best we could. So, um, but I think it followed me home because for weeks I would have, uh, I'd be sitting in my office late at night and I would have little sticks and stones hitting my office windows. And I've had other incidents, many other incidents happen since then in the general area. And, you know, that's um, the sticks and stones things and, and the following home and the, the, the big, you know, the Sasquatch throwing throwing stuff at people's windows. I kind mm-hmm. of forgotten about that part until I talked to a woman at the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference this year. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I mean, she was the, I mean, the most earnest sounding person I think I'd met there, but she was, you know, just terrified of, um, these Bigfoot experiences she had in the upper peninsula. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure she probably said something to you at it, but, but when she was talking about like it just throwing rocks and sticks against the window, you know, after they thought it was miles away and stuff just, you know, scared me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually, I'm in a few weeks. I'm going up to the Upper Peninsula where a couple Bigfoot have been sighted. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm keeping that in mind. But um, it's happened that um, a rock was thrown at my husband on our deck from the kettle that is next to my house. And uh, another time, a few well, it would have been about six months ago, maybe six seven months ago. I was walking on a kettle moraine trail with a colleague and. Um, he was shaking a tree at the time to see, just to see if we could, you know, interest anything. And something pegged him in the head with a rock enough to give him um, a concussion. Oh, man. And it wasn't just like bratty neighbors or something, right? There was no one around. No, this is a really little, little used trail, not one that's, that's used very often by pedestrians. And there was nothing around. And I was actually watching um, very closely and a human would have had to have stood up in order to hit him the way that it did. It would have had to have, a human would have had to stand up in a certain area and have a really accurate overhand throw. And uh, I have a good friend in Maine who has a lot of experience with um, habitating Bigfoots who told me, I told her that, and she said, you know, they don't usually hit people. If it actually hit him in the head, it meant to kill him. Oh, well then. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that, I mean, well, um, I'm looking at the blog post right now. And mm -hmm. so uh, we're going to link to that in the show notes where you guys will be able to see the pictures, read Linda's story again. Um, and she goes into pretty good detail about her Bigfoot adventure in what she saw in July in 2012. So we'll make sure that will go in the show notes so nobody misses it. And uh, that's, a, that's a great story, Linda. And I know I've got you for just a couple more minutes. So I would be remiss if I did not talk to um, Wisconsin's most notorious strange animal chronicler and not discuss the Milwaukee lion. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, that is, it's still in the news. Mm -hmm. It was really hot uh, last week. I was in the Milwaukee area last week in the recording studio. And um, we were in Menominee Falls, actually. And then I saw that on Saturday or Friday, there was a, there was a report, a sighting in Menominee Falls mm -hmm. of the Milwaukee lion. Right. Now, what are your... Th I mean, this when you talk about the media taking off, at first, it's the doldrums of summer. Right, right. So it's an, so it's an absolute news vacuum out there. And they're right. looking for something interesting. And, you know, speaking of the media, wh what do you think about the lion? Well, I mean, they've got video, and you can see looking at that video, um, I'm not sure whether it is somebody's escape pet or a mountain lion, but either one is completely possible. There's a much bigger market for um, uh, wild animal trafficking than people would think. I've had uh, sheriff's deputies tell me they stopped somebody on the interstate for speeding, and they had three cougar cubs in their back seat. Um, you know, that they were taking somewhere. So it would not surprise me if it were someone's pet. But I also know that there are lots more mountain lions or cougars, whichever you want to call them, coming through Wisconsin. 
and maybe perhaps even living here, I had a report um, in Walworth County of two mountain lions menacing somebody's uh, farm animals. And these are people that I know really well. It's like a three-generation farm, you know, and uh, the granddaughter saw it and the grandmother told me about it. They're not making that up, and they know what these things are. Um, my husband was almost was stalked and almost attacked in my own backyard two years ago in October. Hold on a sec. <laughs> Wait, my, my you, you have the most. Da- I mean, the cattle moraine. I mean, I guess I've I've <laughs> done do. jog. I've done jogs through it and stuff <laughs> like that. My my father ran there for years. He did the fifty mile ice age trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now you're making it sound. Like, this is the worst part of town. Like, oh, yeah, the inner city of Milwaukee is fine. It's the Kettle Moraine you got to worry about because of the beasts. Well, there are these things, you know, and like I said, we are right on the edge of the Kettle Moraine. And he, um, being a farm boy who was raised to, you know, go raccoon hunting in the cornfields without a flashlight, is sort of fearless. And he walked all the way back to our the very back of our yard by the woods one night without a flashlight. And this thing growled and jumped right in front of him and he had to walk backwards all the way up our backyard which is considerable to the deck of our house kicking at it waving his arms and yelling while it's growling and pacing him up from a few feet away and it finally just ran into the woods when he got to the deck you know i guess that was too too civilized for it but he saw it the next morning um on a different part of the street and two separate neighbors saw it without knowing about it um, so there were, you know, a total of, of uh, three three different daytime sightings beside his being attacked. We've also had DNA evidence that that one that was shot in Chicago some years ago mm-hmm. came right through um, near where I live. We've had it seen now in Beloit. Um, did you hear about that? There no. are actual, yeah, it's just been, it was seen by a park ranger in a Beloit park. Um, and I do actually have a. I'm I'm writing some pieces for my blog on this because it's something I've been meaning to get to for a long time. And the uh, the main story that's on the blog right now, if you go to lindagodfrey.com, it'll bring up this story, um, which tells about some related things. But I've got a huge amount of evidence and files of mountain lions living around um, central Wisconsin, especially around Duck Wildcat Mountain. Right. And, um, Hillsborough in that central kind of north central area of the state and um, I'm getting around to writing part two which is going to be a lot more involved and show a lot of news clippings but um, they're not an unusual animal to be in the state they're not cryptids they're they're very real and um, you know I, I would actually if I were anywhere near any of those neighborhoods I'd be keeping kind of a close eye on my pets and small children because um, you know it's rare for them to kill humans but not to kill pets they did find that one mauled and shredded house cat in Milwaukee as it was oh yeah that's right that they related to it yeah and uh, they're very opportunistic and they're probably very hungry if they're not in their normal hunting grounds or they don't have a pet owner feeding them you know they're probably looking for something well, we had a good laugh about it when they were like giving, they pulling chicken McNuggets and stuff like that yes. in the live traps. <laughs> yeah, that's like Bobo leaving his, um, you know, mounds bars on the, uh, or a thousand dollar bars on the the trunk up, you know, baiting baiting Bigfoot. Right. But but you never know what those things like. No, that that's true. And um, just looking at that blog post, you know, the mountain lion in Waukesha. 
mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago and that, you know, that it's not, it's not that weird. And when you see the video, now I admit I was not a Milwaukee Lion believer. And so in the last podcast, you know, I was making fun of it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, everybody's bored. But then the video came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that video looks like there's a mountain lion walking around Milwaukee. Well, professional animal experts have said so. They've all said this is some type of lion, you know, maybe a female African or a cougar. It's it's a little blurry, so you can't tell for sure. But, um, you know, you can certainly tell it's not a house cat or a bobcat or anything like that. It's a lion of some kind. And and like you said, there there aren't any laws right now for, I mean, you can keep a mountain lion as a pet, can't you? Um, you, you know, I don't understand the laws completely but what i do understand is that wisconsin's very loose on their exotic animal laws so yeah and and that just made me think like well either somebody got it as a pet or maybe it just got you know it was just a really curious cat yeah um it it's hard telling you know it, it very well could have escaped from someone's basement and they just don't want to admit that it's theirs um but it could be something, you know, uh, from the wilds. And I know one of the witnesses I saw on TV claimed that she saw two of them together. And oh, great. I it's reproducing. <laughs> I haven't seen anything made of it. But um, if you remember, the person that reported to me that they'd seen them by their farm also saw two of them. And, or I don't know if I even mentioned that, but there were two yes. at that one. And when you've got two, then... You can't say, well, this was a lone male looking for a mate and just moving on anymore. Mm-hmm. You've got a potential breeding pair. And, I mean, that would be obviously terrifying in Milwaukee. So, um, the, the, yeah. the, but the, uh, even though, like, on Friday and Saturday, the, you know, the, the authorities were saying, like, well, we think the lion has moved on. I mean, first of all, now we don't know where it is. Mm-hmm. So it could be anywhere. And if it's heading north, that might be good because it might be heading for a less populated area. But it went south. They, they said it, well, they said it escaped the perimeter, and we believe it's heading north, which would have put it into the Cattle Moraine northern unit or that Holy Hill area, mm-hmm. and nobody ever would have found it. But instead, it shows up at Glendale. Oh, that's right, because uh, Allison, who lives Yeah, there, Allison wrote that, yeah, that it was getting close to her um, her area. I have a, um, a, a Facebook group called Unknown Creature Spot, and she posted that on there. And by the way, anyone's welcome to join it. Just uh, send me a note and, and uh, or friend me, and I'll, and I'll add you in. And uh, that's, and, and so if it's heading south, I mean, that just heads to more and more populated areas. So hopefully yep, exactly. the, the Milwaukee lion will be scooped up. It'll go for those chicken McNuggets, um, <laughs> and then we don't have to worry about it anymore, and then hopefully it'll be safe. Hopefully, on yes. All, on all on all sides. Well, and it may just you know there may be a corridor that's sort of established that takes it right down the um, Lake Michigan corridor right down to Chicago, and that's how that other remember that the one that got shot down there got through somehow, and so maybe whatever attracted that first one to go that way, it might be more of a regular route than people realize because if it had if it headed south, it's you know, aimed in that direction. It could and, show and, up in Chicago. And if it gets to Chicago, then it's their problem. Exactly. And it was supposed <laughs> to be near near the airport. I read that too. So maybe it's going to hop a cargo plane. And, and sneak over. You know, sneak yeah. over. Well, uh, Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And um, 
like just picking your brain and and and, and I'm enjoying hearing these stories from Bray Road and and the different theories and things like that. So I just wanted to thank you. And when people want to find you on the internet, where do they go? Just go to lindagodfrey.com and then you can find links to um, my Twitter page. I, I normally post quite a bit on Twitter. I've fallen down because I had that book due the last week or so. But I'm on Twitter a lot. I have um, two different Facebook pages. There's Linda Godfrey and Linda S. Godfrey, which have slightly different things on them. Okay. And then, and I think I have lindagodfrey.com about eight times, which is, uh, there's no www. It's uh, my blog, and then you'll find a page with books and bio. you find the God Johnson page and uh, frequently asked questions. Um, if you are just learning about these creatures for the first time, that's on there. And those things will get you anywhere you want to go. Fantastic. And we'll have those links in the show notes, too. And, uh, Linda, we're working on a, um, a Midwest cryptozoology roundtable sometime in September. So I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. Fun. That would be a great deal of fun. And thank you so much for having me. You bet. I hope you have a great week. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, I found her very pleasant. Indeed. Very pleasant. I like that. And, um... No attitude or anything, and, yeah. and she's been on a ton of, of big shows, and she's still not afraid to do our little show. That's so I great. really think that's cool. Thank you, Linda. That's cool. So, uh, Linda, the, the title of your last book inspired the song for this week, and here it is, American Monsters. While we were wondering what's under the bed There's been something growing we should dread And it's getting bigger all the time Hairier than pink 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. I owe you a beer.